welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 17th, 2022. This week, HBO Max was murdered. Is this the plot of Glass Onion? I was about to say, is this the Knives Out sequel plot? Okay. Will we just spoil it for everybody? No. I think we might have. Okay. I'm Kim Hollis, wishing everyone a merry Yule. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, really regretting those Christmas gifts of HBO Max subscriptions. They seemed like a good idea a few months ago when I bought them, but <laughs> you, you never know, I guess, in the streaming industry now. <laughs> At least it wasn't Quibi. Also... <laughs> Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and first warm body on the Desmond Ritter bandwagon. I'm just saying, he might get his first start around the time you hear this, but I've already had him a 99 at Madden, I don't know, eight MVP trophies already? (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burrell, who'd really appreciate just one slow news week. Oh, you could try to sneak this in during the Christmas holiday, David Zasloff, but I've got six pages of notes. (laughs) This week, the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch lived up to its name as the knives came out for HBO Max. Again? Seriously? (laughs) How much more deader can it be? Oh, God. Um, (laughs) The short of it is that a number of shows have been removed entirely or will be removed entirely in a short period of time from HBO Max. This is a wait, lot Wait, wait, like, wait. No, no, we already covered that. Uh-uh, no. No, this is new stuff. <laughs> oh, God, no. It's a lot like when those Cartoon Network animated shows were removed and then never to be seen again, but this isn't a bunch of cartoons. This is shows like, oh, you know, the Gordita Chronicles that we discussed just a few weeks ago when it had been canceled. Minx, whose second season was canceled even though production had wrapped. Love Life, the Ridley Scott series, Raised by Wolves, The Nevers, The Time Traveler's Wife, and perhaps most shocking of all, the critically praised Westworld. Those shows will be removed or may have already been removed from HBO Max. My favorite out of all these is Minx, because this is a real thing that happened. They were filming the last episode of the season when they found out they'd been canceled. Imagine what that was like on the set that day. We, we were, what? No, we can't be. We're, oh God, I hate them. What is the point of a subscription to this service right now? It's like, okay, so, oh, I want to watch Black Adam. Okay. And then, and then what? Are they really hoping maybe people subscribe if they put something new and shiny out? Because I, I feel like there's literally no other content on there anymore, at least, or if you said to yourself, oh, during the holidays, maybe I'll have time to catch up with Westworld. Guess what? You can't watch that anymore. It's nowhere. First, first of all, nobody wants to watch Black Adam. They right. just kind of do That's, it because they yes. feel like they should. Yeah, exactly. Second of all, the point is you're giving HBO Max $15 a month. And if Warner Brothers Discovery doesn't have that, oh, they are well and truly screwed. They've already got as much debt as the company has valuation right now. So they need you to continue giving them all the money you can. Now they're just going to give you less for your money. You need to be okay with that agreement because, well, it helps them. That's the business model at this point. WT actual F. I don't understand them at all. Do they just expect people to watch their Magnolia network? I don't know. Oh, God. I think the word is hope. 
I, I do. What is happening right now is Zaslav has made his career, and this is, we can joke about everything else, but this is the reality of it. The discovery programming is dirt cheap. I mean, Kim and I were just, you know, like spitballing names of shows the other day. And as they got more ridiculous, like zombie ghost moonshiners, we realized more and more that might be a real show that exists on one of the discovery channels. This is what he's done. And so he is trying to train an entire generation of people. Don't watch premium shows, watch the garbage stuff that makes you stupider because it's cheap for us to make. And that is all we're witnessing right now in just its many, many permutations. Yeah. So reportedly, Warner Brothers Discovery is looking to bundle many of these series for licensing out to fast or free ad-supported streaming services. But the true concern here is that this news comes at the same time that it's being reported that Warner Brothers Discovery is going to be taking another one billion dollars off the books as write-offs. Literally, they're looking to disappear content like they did with those Cartoon Network shows or the Batgirl movie. We should not be living in an era of lost media, but WBD is creating new lost media every day. And this is utterly tragic. Yeah. And there may be more to it than what is being reported thus far when we start connecting future dots rather than talking about what's being reported right now. Roll just used the term fast, which is free ad-supported streaming. And that has been a thing really since Pluto TV prioritized it and showed how great it could be in 2014, which means David Zaslav has now fallen in love with the shiniest technology of 2014. It's nine years old and he just discovered it. The appeal of fast to HBO Max is they can reinvent something. And Roll, they're not trying to reinvent HBO, are they? No, they're trying to reinvent TBS and TNT, but on streaming. Right. Those are the breadwinners. Those are the ones that have always made a lot of money when everyone had 100 million subscribers to their various cable channels. TBS and TNT have been the Turner Network anchors from the earliest days of Ted Turner. That's why he's a billionaire. He anticipated this. He got behind it. Well, with linear television in a state of dramatic decline, we've been saying decline for a long time now, but now it is just straight off a cliff. Everybody is panicking and trying to get to the next thing as soon as possible and as cheaply as possible. And so Zaslav is pulling all of this content that was formerly pay content on HBO Max that he doesn't care about. And I need to keep stressing that. That was never his business model. It was HBO's business model for the past 40 years. He is trying to transition that where it used to be a high premium thing people would pay at the start, you know, $10 a month. And then it got up to, you know, $20 a month. And now the entire package is $15 a month for streaming. He is turning that into a valueless thing where you can watch it for free on a fast service, a free free ad-supported Pluto TV-type product, one that Warner Brothers Discovery plans to debut in 2023, which means he is going to systematically destroy everything that we knew about HBO in order to create a thing in 2023 that is akin to WTBS and WTNT from the 1980s. As a reminder, at one point, the name of the thing was home box office. That was the entire point when it was started. It would be HBO. And now we have this, which is the absolute opposite. And not coincidentally, they're talking about changing the name from HBO Max to just Max because they don't even want people associating the term HBO with it anymore. You might as well just call it trash. (laughs) 
David talks about connecting the future dots, but the fact of the matter is that a lot of these dots were laid out for us. All the pieces of the puzzle were there. We just didn't see it. And this is where really I'm kicking myself, although not that I could have done anything about it. We knew that Warner Bros. Discovery was deeply in debt. We'd heard the rumor that they were wanting to rename their new product. They were just going to call it Max and remove the HBO name. We knew in their quarterly reports, they talked about how, oh, our uh, our subscribers only want watch like the top 5% of our shows and they don't really watch the other shows. And we knew that they were not convincing people to move from the exclusively subscription-based HBO service to the subscription and ad-based service. And ads is really where the money is for them. This is money that they can get upfront. And arguably it is a larger revenue stream than subscribers are. And as we discussed last week, we knew also that Warner Bros. Discovery was trying to get a better deal when licensing out their shows to other streaming services and they were trying to get paid up front. I cannot stress this enough. Everything we're discussing right now is all about being able to survive the financial period in 2023 where they are so far in debt, they're not 100% sure they can make all their loans. So anything that is a net negative financially, they've just decided is a non-starter. They will destroy the brand if they have to on this gamble so that they can continue to pay their bills because they're not worrying about 2024 and beyond right now. If they have to take out HBO along the way, so be it. The only thing that matters right now is that they get a viable cash positive business model by the end of 2023 so that they will look appetizing when they're ready to sell. And Raul, you mentioned the shows they took off the air. We're talking about things like Run and Mrs. Fletcher that weren't necessarily wildly popular. They were the more of the experimental HBO programming that it's always been known for, the avant-garde stuff that was challenging and kind of enticed a different sort of viewer set. That is the polar opposite of what Zaslav wants. He wants the majority opinion thing whenever possible. He is not interested in art. He is only interested in commerce. And so you have to say, this is a culmination of a lot of stories we've been reporting all year, isn't it, Roel? That's exactly it. We just didn't think it would ever get to this really rather insane result. I mean, I am not ruling out that at some point, The Sopranos ends up on some free streaming service with five minutes of commercial blocks every 20 minutes, because that is where Warner Bros. Discovery makes their money and pays their bills and quality content be damned. It took years to build HBO up to where it was before Warner Bros. Discovery happened, and it's taking a matter of days to tear it apart. I think the um, most amazing thing here is at the start of 2022, you could have made a very strong argument that HBO Max was probably the best streaming service in terms of the content that they had and content that they were getting. And looking back now, it just seems laughable with everything that's just happened in the last couple months. And the irony here is that as... Warner Brothers Discovery moves away from being a leader in the streaming business. The irony is that Peacock is actually pivoting towards being that leader. Kelly Campbell, who came over from Hulu to take over Peacock, what, about a year ago now, David? She's her moves are finally starting to materialize. And I think we could see it that Peacock is actually becoming a serious contender in the streaming wars. 
Well, I'm not ready to call it a streaming contender. Raul and I have philosophical differences on Peacock. What I will say, you're absolutely correct. She joined Peacock in October of 2021, and that has turned out to be a profound story in and of itself. We need to stay focused here on the main story, but I want to go ahead and say Campbell was someone who was working with Kevin Meyer, and she kind of deduced early on that what was happening behind the scenes with Bob Chappick wasn't going to work for her, and she knew that Peacock had an opening. And so when Peacock reached out to her, she, as a Bob Iger protege, said, you know what? I'm out of here and immediately left for Peacock. And the problem she's been running into is there is just not enough money in Comcast coffers for her to do the things she wants to do in Peacock thus far. But they have promised that they will find her the money in 2023. And Raul, that's kind of where you're going with this, isn't it? Peacock is now ready to do a kind of renewal ceremony where they recommit to quality programming. Yeah, they launched almost as a necessity at the start of the pandemic. It was a lot of chaos and they ended up with not a very clear strategy to begin with. A lot of their shows were essentially productions that were intended for cable and instead were repositioned to Peacock. But I think we could see now that if they can just like promote themselves better, that Peacock really has a chance. They've got the shortest theatrical release window. NBC Universal has the shortest theatrical window of any Hollywood studio. So their movies can get to streaming, what, in about 30 days instead of 45 for most of the other studios. So we're seeing a constant flow of theatrical movies on Peacock all the time. I was surprised to see that, what's the name of that Julia Roberts and uh, George Clooney movie? Apparently that one's on Peacock now. Ticket to Paradise? That's the one. We missed it because... They're still not very good at promoting their content, but there it is on streaming on Peacock. And they've got new shows all the time, although we don't know about it because they're terrible at promoting them. If they could just figure that out, if they can tell us better when their new shows are coming out, I think they would get a lot more advanced buzz and they get a lot more respect. I actually wonder if this is the future and we just haven't adapted to it well yet. And what I mean by that is these companies have spent hundreds of millions of dollars marketing their products over the years. What if one of the hidden benefits of running your own streaming services, you don't have to market it outside that. You just give it a tile and say, watch this on the front. Because let's be honest, we do this every week when we talk about Nielsen streaming ratings where we go, what in God's name is that and why is it trending? Because if they put it in that tile, people watch it. So we might be old. We might be archaic in the way we're viewing marketing these days. Just to get back to the Warner Bros. Discovery news and the HBO Max news, it's it's disheartening to see CEO David Zaslov run roughshod over the company like this. But I'm wondering how much longer he's going to be able to get away with it. I suppose so long as he pays the bills, that's fine. And it was okay when, sure, a Scooby-Doo movie they produce is never going to get seen. And a bunch of Cartoon Network shows that just teenagers watch disappear from the streaming service. But when you start disappearing original live action content with real stars in it or selling it off to ad supported streaming services. I don't know how much longer Hollywood is going to just allow that. And what's comical is that everyone was just so ready to give David Zaslav a chance. They thought Jason Kylar was Satan for having for having put out movies day and date during the pandemic, when in fact, that's probably what consumers really appreciated. What would Hollywood give to have Jason Kylar back in charge? 
<laughs> well, we called that. The thing we're talking about might be a feature, not a bug as well. This might be the plan. I mean, you know, I'm going to quote the syndrome from The Incredibles here. If you make everyone special, then nobody is. His idea here might be we don't want to be in the premium business model anymore with our HBO content because it's gotten too expensive and it creates too much aggravation and not everything hits. He might be single-handedly wrecking balling the entire HBO catalog just so he can get people used to expecting less quality content. And that, first of all, it'll fail. Let's be clear on that. And second of all, it sends chills down my spine that somebody who can look at the business so cynically might attain this level of power in the industry. I'm not in the business of laughing at other journalists. I find it wildly unprofessional and just unbecoming. I try not to do that. But there was an article posted this week where they had interviewed a bunch of Hollywood agents and other insiders, people connected to the industry, and like 30 of them. And the gist of it was that when asked where they were most likely to shop a project, Raul, which company did they say they wanted to be in business with? They want to be in business with HBO, or at least they did. That's the thing. You could basically tell that that person had been working on that article for three months and that the responses they'd gotten were cold and it wasn't their fault. There's nothing you could do. Sometimes you have long lead time on stories. And by the time you've researched them out, you've fleshed them out, you've gotten the responses, they're old. There is nobody who understands this business this week who wants to be in bed with David Zaslav at this point. All right, Tim, there's there's really not anything to talk about with regard to box office this week, is there? Um, have you heard about this Avatar thing? I don't really know what it's about, but I guess people are into it. I've been reading on Deadline for several weeks now that it's going to make $150 million on the opening weekend. <laughs> and they are not backing down from that number, are they? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let's let's see where we're at. We have a Friday number of 53 million. That's not going to get to 150. Yeah, what we're realizing right now is there actually is a finite number of great screens in this country. And if you've waited 13 years for Avatar, you're not going <laughs> to see it on a regular screen, which means you need the IMAX, the RPX, the 3D, whatever you can get. And so there is a theoretical limit on the number of screens they can exhibit this on, and it is depressing the box office. But Tim, this is just history repeating itself, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with an entirely different era of box office because it was 2009 and we're also starting out with much bigger numbers. But opening weekend is not where Avatar made its money. In fact, Avatar's second weekend was almost exactly the same as its first weekend. And while Avatar technically set the record for the biggest weekend in December. It was not one of those, oh my God, that'll never be shattered type things. Right. It was one of those 80 million, why didn't it do any better things? And I did. Tim, you remember, we spent the first 10 days apologizing for Avatar, which went on to become the number one film of all time because people were just convinced it was a bomb, weren't they? Yeah. So, okay, it opened 77 million back in December 2009. And that was, you almost felt like, wow, you felt like this was just going to do more because here it was James Cameron. It had these outstanding reviews. People who saw it just absolutely loved it. And then during the holiday box office period, it just kept making money. It just kept making the same amount of money that it was making on that opening weekend. And yeah, the the, the holiday weekend following it, yeah, 75 million, which included Christmas, which of course is, is a big day, but it became an absolute monster over those next 10 days. And, and Next thing you know, it was 
pushing 600 million and ended up being, yeah, the number one movie of all time, a record that held for many years with 783 million. It basically just did the same amount of money every day at the end of December and start of January, just every day. And it was a yep. massive amount of money. But that's why I'm saying I'm not really worried about Avatar yet. We, no, we not at all. Yeah. For another week or so, but yep. it would not surprise me, even though it's only at 130 million right now, if it was at 350 million by, you know, a week from Sunday, it would now. That doesn't mean I'm saying that will happen. There are so many variables in play here. We still haven't figured out exactly what the demand is for the project, and we won't until I start getting data about actual sellout numbers this weekend. But I mean, Tim, just analytically, shouldn't we be happy with a performance like this in this theater going era? Yeah, absolutely. You, we, we keep hearing like theaters are struggling. They need big hits, and here's a movie that's still going to do 130 million, 140 million in three days as we head into what traditionally and still should be a very lucrative period for for movie going and box office. So yeah, I think everyone's focused on the opening, but you really need to see the, the long term on this one, especially well, long term in terms of the next you know, 14 days. And it's pretty much clear sailing for Avatar The Way of Water at the box office right now. There's like no real competition up against it, is there? I mean, nothing is going to top this experience. And Kim and I'll come back to this the uh, the end when we talk about what we did this week. But just analytically, we're talking about an opening weekend that is either going to match or surpass the Batman. And I've spent the last decade hearing people say that Avatar made no cultural impact. It's hard to have more of a cultural impact than, you know, the Batman franchise. So the fact that we're saying this is just stunning in and of itself. And oh, by the way, final box office for the Batman was $369 million. There are scenarios out there where, seriously, Avatar The Way of Water could have that by January 1st. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. We're just in wait and see mode right now. We'll know a lot more next week when we talk, right? Yeah, we need more than a day and a half, really. We're just going off the estimate off this this Friday number, but we need much more information because, again, this is not where Avatar made its record-breaking box office, not in the first three days. It was those, it was those next 10, that, that remainder of 2009 is became an absolute juggernaut. There is one thing that has crossed my mind. Of course, we're in a streaming era now, and I really wonder, I genuinely wonder how much of an impact streaming will have on box office, especially on Christmas. Are people going to want to bundle up, put on their boots and go to the movie theater when they can be watching Glass Onion? There's never really going to be a way to correlate how much streaming impacts a box office. But if if Avatar, The Way of Water does not meet expectations, I I think it's going to be because people decided to stay home and watch streaming instead. It's entirely possible. And the other thing we need to keep in mind is Disney is watching this very carefully. Every Avatar film is in a major financial investment. I mean, Cameron has basically hinted that the film needs to make $2 billion to turn a profit. Now, that's a misleading story in that what he's saying is we've got so much sunk cost in this. That's not a one-time expense. That's been a gradual thing. But Disney's probably not going to commit that much money unless they're convinced people love this film enough to justify a third one. And so that's what we're kind of waiting and seeing on. And so it, it's just fun this week. I mean, it's as simple as that. Box office hasn't been fun much in 2022. There have been very, very few stories that were interesting to track. It's exciting that James Cameron is back because we have one of these again. Yeah, absolutely. The, the daily box office numbers are going to be very, very fascinating for, for the next you know, two weeks plus. 
the other thing I'll add here, it did get an A cinema score. So it is not, you know, the A plus knock your socks off once a generation type thing. But that is a lot of happy moviegoers leaving the theater. And if you look at the comm score stuff, the comm score stuff is universally an A, which means that every demographic walked out of that theater saying, I am so glad we went and saw this. Yeah. And I'll add that, you know, obviously it's single data point analysis, but our theater applauded at the end of the show. And you don't necessarily get that a lot these days. All right, Tim, how about you take us into the ratings? Okay, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, November 14th through Sunday, November 20th, 2022. Uh, We don't have any absolutely wild numbers. We will save that for next week, but we do have a lot of new shows on the list to to talk about, so we'll we'll go through them as efficiently as we can. Uh, But your most watched thing of the week, probably not much of a surprise here, is of course The Crown. 1.7 billion minutes viewed for its 50 episodes, because this was the first week of the availability of its fifth season of 10 episodes. In second, we do have something new here is Dead to Me. About 1.4 billion minutes for 30 episodes. The third and final season of this comedic series, Christina Applegate, Linda Cardellini, arrived on the 17th. So there's just a three-day number. So that should actually take a, a jump next week. I'm actually really glad to see that. I haven't watched the series, but I like them both. And I definitely love seeing that this has an audience. We haven't seen this before because the second season actually goes all the way back to May 2020. So I think it's just another one of those shows that probably gained an audience during the the pandemic because that was early on. We were all still stuck in, in homes. The, the production was delayed because of, of COVID, but I do think people saw it. And then when the new season came out, they were excited to see it. Manifest is still here in third for some reason. Uh, another 1.2 billion minutes for the, the show that won't die. But we'll see it again next year when the second half of that fourth season <laughs> drops. So this is not yes, the end. Will. This is not the end. Yeah, we'll see it for a few more weeks and then it'll disappear and then return with a vengeance sometime in 2023. Uh, we do have another new show in fourth. This is 1899. Surprisingly, not a Yellowstone spinoff, but this because this is on uh, on Netflix. But this is actually a, uh, a, a sci-fi series. Yes, German production, I believe, from the same yep. creators of the series Dark that uh, had some success on Netflix last year. Yeah, Dark is one of those programs that some people on Netflix swear is one of the best things they've ever aired. So I'm not surprised. It's not in any way related, but people seem to know it's the same team doing similarly interesting subject matter. So we expected this appeal. We said as much in what's new and streaming. And it's just exciting to see something kind of, you know, obscure do this well. Yeah, I don't think I said, but 925 million minutes viewed for eight episodes. And also, amusingly, it's listed on the Nielsen chart as 1899-2022, just in case you're you're not confused by all the numbers. Uh, Love is Wine is still here in fifth after completing its uh, latest season, 562 million minutes for 40 total episodes. Uh, The Great British Baking Show adds an episode every week, now up to 85, 533 million minutes. In seventh, a show that we saw return last week, Warrior Nun, 521 million minutes for 18 episodes, but now canceled and stay tuned for more on that. Something new, and we actually didn't talk about this one. I went and double-checked. 480 million minutes viewed for Ancient Apocalypse, uh, an eight-episode documentary series about old cultures, really. Yep. Fast and loose with the facts, too. Yeah, I'm very sure. I'm just picturing, I I don't know anything about it, but I'm just picturing that Aliens meme guy. I don't think he was involved in this because it doesn't involve aliens, (laughs) but but that's that's, that's where my mind went to when I saw this title. Mine, too. Make the list, Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, it just seems like we've talked about Netflix rips off other shows. This seems like they're ripping off ancient aliens and they're not even being subtle about it. <laughs> you know, absolute trash television. I have a nephew who's addicted to it and I will give him a look every time he brings it up like don't even. Well, there's a lot of don't even types out there. Andor is here in ninth, the actually only non-Netflix show on the original chart this week. Uh, one episode to go, now up to 11 episodes total, 455 million minutes. So probably a bit of a jump next week with the finale as people decide to, that's when they, they binge the Disney series is when they're finished. And wrapping up originals, this is fun to see. Pepsi, where's my jet? 362 million minutes for the four episode documentary series that is on my list to watch over the, the holidays, just from that stupid title and the concept. That is exactly right. I still haven't watched it yet. And I'm just thinking to myself, I cannot wait. This is one of my favorite ideas for programming ever. And I just love that there's somebody out there who says, I'm why there's an asterisk whenever they say things like this. Yes. The f- there's reason there's fine print on commercials these days. It's like, you know, do not attempt or, you know, as people like, you know, skydive off a tall building or something like that, or drive cars through, you know, wherever, or announce absurd prizes for, for contests. Yes. This, this is why we have those rules, but yeah, I'm uh, happy to see that that actually arrived on the 17th as well. Uh, movies led by where the crawdads sing, but over 1 billion minutes, not surprising. We saw that last week and this was actually a, you know, solid hit in theaters and now a big win for Netflix too. Kim, what's your theory on this one? My theory is that if David's mother knows a title, then it's probably going to be doing pretty all right, especially on stream. The woman is 89 years old and she was legitimately asking me a month before it came out when she could watch it on streaming. And I'm like, mom, it has to come to the theater first. Yep, yep. That's oh, it right. Had, it hadn't even been, been no. out in theaters yet? Wow. Nope. Okay. Nope. It wow, hadn't even was, gotten into theaters yet. She was way in front on this one. Jeez. And okay. some of our listeners will know that we often have to play a game when she tells us about movies because she doesn't remember what the title was but she'll describe it for us and then we kind of have to intuit what the movie was from there and um do we have yeah, the same mother so she knows this one <laughs> <laughs> yes his mind does that as well and i have to like try to try to sort out what what she's talking about the hilarious thing on this one was she named knew the name of the movie the book the author of the book everything so she was ready on this one so. <laughs> yeah, she really knew this one <laughs> There is definitely multi-generational appeal for where the crawdads sing. Right. And yeah, uh, this was the full week of its availability, first full week of its availability. And yeah, one billion minutes is very strong to see, especially for something that was in theaters too. Uh, new in seconds, Slumberland, 651 million minutes. This is, oh, uh, Jason Momoa fantasy adventure thing. Sure. Why yes, not? correct. Okay. Yeah, we, we talked about this one. This one didn't register with, with me, though, when uh, when we brought it up. Uh, but new and third from Disney Plus, Disenchanted, 612 million minutes. This is the sequel to Enchanted that just went straight to, to Disney Plus. Again, making people mad that they probably could have put it in theaters and had it do very well. But, it, you know, brought back Amy Adams, Patrick Dempsey, and uh, many other people from the first one. Do we really think it would have done very well in theaters? I'm I don't. Scared. Really? Okay. No. And David's mother did not like Oh, okay. I mean, Enchanted did well. Enchanted was great. I think everybody could tell that Disenchanted was like, I guess we should do a sequel. And Tim, I'm going to go. This was not good. Okay. This was not well well reviewed. Okay. Wow. I I just skip ahead here and tie something else together because fourth place goes to RIPD2, Rise of the Damned, which shouldn't even exist. Nobody wanted this. No. How is that a thing? 
yeah, it came from nowhere. Yeah, a Netflix movie. And I really think if you ever want to talk about the difference between Netflix and its competitors, this is the best example because Enchanted is a brand and it's recognizable. Tim's saying he expects the sequel to do well enough to justify a strong theatrical run. R.I.P.D. was a miserable failure of a movie. It was a box office bomb most people hated. And yet the two films aren't that far apart. <laughs> aren't that far terms, apart, yeah. <laughs> in terms of Nielsen's streaming, because Netflix can really get people to watch anything if they just have a decent trailer for it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, does, does it share anything with the original? Like, I mean, obviously it's there's no there's no Ryan Reynolds in this one, even though he's in he's in everything. I don't think Jeff Bridges is, is in this one either. I would suspect the only commonality is it's probably based on one of the actual RIPD comic book story arcs. And I don't even know that for sure because when I saw this, I rolled my eyes so hard, I'm surprised they didn't we, just like pop in my we head. all went we all went crazy on what's new that week. We're like, wait, this, yes. how, does, how does this exist? What is this? How, where where did this come from? How did we not know this was happening? And yeah, we we just laughed at it, but but here it is. In, in fourth, I mean, 478 yeah. is viewed. It's the uh, origin story. Of uh, course, it is. Yeah. Jeff Bridges' character. Who oh, okay. In this one, is played by Jeffrey, Jeffrey Donovan. Donovan. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank God we finally cleared up that mystery, but I will say. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this is this is that's Netflix for you. But yeah, I, I mean, Disen- Disenchanted came out on on the the eighteenth. So again, this is just a weekend number. So we we might see it also take take a jump because we will have the holiday Thanksgiving week included in next week's ratings. So I, I think the, the gap will widen between the two. But it is amusing to to point out how how relatively close they are at the moment. And Tim, don't you think that this performance justifies the existence of RIPD too? I don't know what they spent on it, but. Kinda. I mean, that's the thing. We're laughing at it, but you know, somebody in the boardroom thought, "Wait a minute," and they were right. God help them. I'm sure it costs less to make than the first one, but yeah. Uh, Following for Christmas is still here in fifth, four hundred forty-four million minutes, and in sixth we have something new: The Bad Guys, four hundred forty-one million minutes. This was a theatrical release from earlier this year, animated film from DreamWorks, where we we pointed out on what's new that it showed up initially on Peacock back in back in July was there for four months and then left that service, arrived on Netflix on November 1st or, or, or remain for 10 months and then go back to Peacock for four months for some reason. So enjoy it while you can, people. Really, this is the most fascinating thing about when we discuss streaming right here. NBC Universal makes a movie. NBC Universal releases in theaters and then puts it on their own streaming service and the world collectively shrugs. And then it's on Netflix and everybody's like, ooh, that looks interesting. I'll watch that. Mm-hmm. This chart is like one giant flex for Netflix this week. It really is. It is. I, I'm waiting for that new season of Girls 5 Eva to come out on Netflix. So that will show up on the ratings, even though we never saw it on Peacock. <laughs> That's exactly it. No one recognized how awesome Cobra Kai was when it used to play on YouTube Red. And then it was on Netflix and everyone was like, oh, oh look at the show. Right. Yes. But maybe the next movie on the chart puts a little bit of a lie to what David said about how folks shrug when a theatrical movie comes to Peacock. I'm going to challenge that assertion. He's talking about Nope, which had 274 million minutes on Peacock, Mm -hmm. which is a strong showing for Peacock. But in four months when it shows up on Netflix, if that is the deal, and I don't actually know, I'm just speculating, it would probably be, be closer to a billion minutes. And that's just the reality of it. Peacock is doing the best that it can with 18 million subscribers. And what they're saying now is, I think the number is 30 million actual viewers. Netflix, you know, 30 million viewers is an average day for them. Oh my God, it is. Yeah, it is the exact same deal as The Bad Guys. 18 month deal, stream on Peacock for four months, 
actually, well, okay. It's going to, nope, slightly different. It's going to go to Amazon for 10 <laughs> and then back to Peacock. <laughs> oh God, my, my head hurts. Yes. I remember when Nope first arrived on Peacock, which is this week that we're discussing here in the ratings. Mm-hmm. They it, didn't market it. <laughs> exactly. It caught us by surprise. It did. Yeah. If they want those first four months to be meaningful on Peacock, they must promote it in advance. Ads online, commercials on TV, posters on at bus stops. I, I got an email subways. about it the day it showed up on Peacock. And that's too late. Yes. So the thing is, Peacock is not Netflix. People don't just scroll around Netflix. They're not looking at the tiles on Peacock at this time. They go to Peacock when there's something they want to watch right now. Until Peacock gets itself to that point, and I'm not saying they can't, they've got to market things like Nope, because that's the kind of thing that will actually get them viewers. All right. Anyway, uh, something else new in eighth. This is The Wonder. 272 million minutes viewed. I was wondering exactly why this period drama was here. And then I saw it starred Florence Pugh. So that made sense to me. There it is. Yeah, I've she's heard good in things, everything. Actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, seems pretty positively reviewed. I mm-hmm. uh, got some, a whole bunch of uh, British uh, film nominations. So probably in the in the conversation for some, some other the major awards. We'll see. But yeah, it's more another Netflix attempt at going for some awards. Enola Holmes 2 is down to 9th, 268 million minutes. Still did fine. And one more new film to wrap up movies this week. I am Vanessa Guillen, 251 million minutes. Uh, this is a like documentary thing about a American army soldier found dead on a, on a base. Depressing, tragic topic. We did we did actually discuss it during what's new that week. Uh, Acquired is nine shows we've seen before. Once again, led by Kokomo, 860 million minutes. But here's again Peacock in second with Yellowstone, 643 million minutes for its 37 episodes, which is not all of them. Uh, but there is one new show that's important to point out in 10th. The White Lotus made the list, 406 million minutes for its 10 episodes. Okay, so this is another Acquired thing. It's very similar to House of the Dragon, where it's being aired on both HBO and then shows up on HBO Max. New episodes began airing weekly. So this was just four episodes into the the second season of seven. So we might see this one hang around as it adds episodes over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it could be. And it's more of that acquired weirdness like we saw with House of the Dragon. Yeah, I, I will we'll allow it. It's not exclusive to the streaming service. It's airing on the actual pay cable channel and then yeah. shows up either at the same time or the next day. I don't remember which, exactly which. Uh, so yeah, that, that's fine. But I definitely have hear the show get a whole lot of buzz. So I do expect it to grow with the next couple episodes. That was a pretty interesting week in the ratings. No, again, huge numbers, but you know the, the crown is pretty impressive. But I think next week is that Wednesday number and that's going to just blow the doors off everything. I am curious to see how also the Thanksgiving week uh, affects uh, certain things. I do expect you know, Disenchanted to take a, a, a little bit of a jump. I don't know if there was anything else new, but uh, we're just going to have our jaws like drop by seeing what whatever Wednesday comes out with. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, as Tim mentioned earlier, Netflix has ended Warrior Nun after two seasons. Sad. I'm sorry, honey. It's all right. I guess, you know, I'm part of the problem if I haven't watched season two yet. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Netflix has also canceled the comedy Blockbuster starring Randall Park after only one season. Feels too on the nose, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Netflix picked up the series just so they could cancel it. Netflix has <laughs> you money. That's how rich they are. 
at Amazon Prime Video, Reese Witherspoon will be starring in the comedy series All Stars as a former cheerleader from Daytona Beach who cons her way into coaching a group of high school students in England. Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine, which is now owned by Candle Media, is going to be producing it. So that's another feather in the hat for Candle Media. But is there cheerleading in England? I mean, I don't even understand. How is it a con? If she actually was a cheerleader, couldn't she coach cheerleading? Maybe she wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll all find out. Disney Plus is working on a pilot for a Witch Mountain series starring Bryce Dallas Howard. I still love you, Kim Richards. I'm never going to watch your stupid reality show, but I still love you for Witch Mountain forever. They're probably not going to get the rock in this, right? (laughs) Probably not this time, no. Okay. Also, Kim Richards, I still love you for Tough Turf. (laughs) On Peacock, Melissa McCarthy is set to star in a Christmas comedy scripted by Love Actually's Richard Curtis. Congratulations, David, on getting greenlit. (laughs) Actually, let me just do a quick search of this article, search for the word husband. No, okay, this might actually be good. Could be good. (laughs) (laughs) Richard Curtis is behind one of my favorite things ever, which is Blackadder. So, you know, I, I have a deep and abiding love for him. And finally, the Showtime drama Yellow Jackets has been renewed for a third season ahead of the premiere of its season two. This show is wildly popular online. Mm-hmm. It's it's a viral hit, so they'd be dumb to not renew it for at least a third season. It's yeah, starting I, to get like Ted Lasso for me, where I'm going to have to figure out what it is because nobody. Yeah, was, we're going to have to watch uh, it. Yep. I, I okay. It's the timing on this is very funny because I just watched a couple episodes of this last night. It's available <laughs> on Amazon, and, and I did not know what it was prior to that. So it's very interesting. I don't know if I have the time to to keep up with the, with it, but I'm not surprised that it's that it it's popular and then already has a third season planned before the second one even airs. I think that's not out till March. Okay. Resolved. This is the Streaming Into the Void show. We're going to watch this holiday season. Okay. (laughs) All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And David alluded to the fact that we saw Avatar, The Way of Water in the the theater. (laughs) So, yeah, we saw it Thursday night. It is a three hour long movie. So I think it started at 725. We left at 11 something, including all the trailers. We saw it in IMAX 3D, of course. And it is, I would call it an overwhelming film. It's very experiential. I do recommend that it be seen in a theater because of that. Like Avatar, I I feel like you're going to lose something if you watch it on a television or even not in 3D or in the premium theater. David had read off a review to me that said it was like a Disney ride in movie form. And I think that that is pretty apt, a pretty good way to describe it. Although there are some scary, intense moments in the film. And I felt like Cameron kind of went to a lot of his past films. He took elements from various ones, even up to and including Piranha 2. You can see a little bit of every one of them in this movie, which is interesting. But I recommend it. 
The third hour of the film is just very fast paced. It is beautiful. It is titled The Way of Water. And so underwater scenes, the scenes with the land and the creatures in the water are just beautiful. Again, it's sensory overload, but I recommend it. I thought it was really good. I liked the original Avatar too. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Raul, how about you? I binged Wednesday on Netflix. It is great. Uh, Yeah, I loved it. There were elements throughout that just made me giddy. There'd be scenes where I, where I go, oh, I recognize that. Or, oh, she she did the thing. There's a lot of callbacks to other Adams Family material from the past, from the old series, from the movies. It just became like a very satisfying watch. I'll say the last episode is a lot of uh, hurry up and uh, get to the climax. It could probably have been scripted a little bit better, but it didn't take anything away from the series. They clearly leave it, uh, leave it open for additional seasons to come. And at this point, given what we know about how successful this series was uh, it seems inevitable we will be getting additional uh, seasons and uh, it's it's very exciting to know that we're probably going to have a lot more Wednesday on Netflix for years to come I actually watched the first episode as well and I guess I just have to keep watching it because it didn't really like immediately hook me so maybe I'm not sure what exactly what I was expecting from the show but I guess I, I have people yeah like like you said like they, they love they love the whole thing, but maybe I have to keep watching. But it didn't immediately make me like, like, I need to watch the rest of this right this moment. Then it may actually not be for you. I was I was hooked from in fact, from the moment the preview tile on Netflix played a clip of the series for me, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is for me. And if you've watched that whole first episode and you're not hooked yet, it just may not be something that mm-hmm. you're interested in. Yeah, fair enough. Did you watch and enjoy the original Adams Family role? I watch it in reruns, of well, course. I was gonna uh, say, what do you what do you mean when you say original Adams Family? Like the original original series or the <laughs> the original series? Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Clarifying. Well, I did watch, of course, the uh, reruns play on uh, on cable and and local TV from time to time. Whenever they'd play, it's harder to find them on TV these days, of course. But I was uh, certainly a fan of the Adams Family movie with Raul Julia and Angelica Houston and the sequel, Adams Family Values. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought those movies were great. And, those were good. Yeah. Yes, and I feel this series really plays off of that look and feel, that aesthetic. All right. Very good. Tim, how about you? Uh, I guess I can throw in. Yeah, I watched the that first episode on Wednesday and yeah, didn't maybe just, just not for me. Unexpectedly ended up catching the first few episodes of Yellow Jackets, as I said as well. And yet yeah, that would be something I hopefully I will find the time for to, to watch. But I, as I've been playing the last couple of weeks, I, I finished it. Uh, it was probably a good 60 hours well spent. But yeah, Yakuza Like a Dragon was well worth my time. I had some time off this week and kind of just devoted it to to, to that because I really wanted to put some use into my my Steam Deck. And also we got the finale of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 season 13 with a, with a Christmas episode. It was wonderful. It features all three hosts, Joel, Jonah, and, and Emily. They do wrap up the final seg- segment with all three of them in the theater riffing and it's it's excellent the movie is weirdly watchable even though it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with christmas except the very beginning and the very end uh, i haven't quite made sense of it yet but it, it it seemed to be somewhat watchable just didn't really feel like a christmas movie and they did tease in a post premiere chat that they had pre-recorded in front of um an audience of kickstarter backers who who, who paid enough to to watch it that they are planning uh, a season 14 so i assume it's going to be another crowdfunding effort to see if they can make more um they haven't really said how successful this whole gizmo Plex 
Netflix platform has been outside of the people who had kick subscriptions from the from the Kickstarter. But if they're they're into it, hopefully it was and they're able to do more. We'll find out more in the new year. But yeah, the, the whole season was was well well worth the, the cost of, of the subscription for me. Awesome. And David. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and add with Avatar the Way of Water that it is something that you probably do want to watch in theaters. We um we are one of the people who've watched Avatar many times. And part of the reason for that is we had a 3D television and we had the kind of 3D television that when you put on the glasses, it was a similar experience at home. Well, 3D televisions died horribly a few years ago. So that's not really a thing at this point. You're not going to be able to recreate what Avatar is at home. And that's probably the first time I felt that way about a film, maybe since Gravity. I mean, it has been a while. And so it it is worth that kind of effort. But Kim's right. And on top of that, I'll add some of the scenes were drawn out too long. You know, Cameron only makes film every 13 years. He's going to make every second count. But there's something I'm jokingly calling the murder scene. It's not what you think it is. But there is definitely a sequence that goes on for at least 10 minutes, if not 15 minutes, that you could have done the same thing in 90 seconds. He just wanted to make sure everyone absolutely despised every human in the movie. And so this is the way he went about it. It was indulgent and probably unnecessarily so. But these are the type of criticisms that only happen when a title is three hours and 15 minutes without intermission, including, you know, trailers and whatnot. We really were in that theater for nearly four hours. And that's too long. That is simply too long, but that's really my only criticism overall of it because you're watching something that is totally fake on screen the entire time. And yet when that happens with animation, you're fully aware of the fact that you're watching animation. Well, the name of this film should never be lost on you. You're watching Avatars. You're watching creatures who exist, some of whom are alien and some of which are humans in alien form as avatars. And it is seamless And it is immersive and it is 100% believable to the point you will forget that's happening. And I'm just in awe of any filmmaker who can accomplish that. Highly recommend. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.